everybody and welcome to dark natter the <laughs> podcast that likes warm cherry pie and strong black coffee i'm john richter and i don't really know how to follow that i don't know whether should i be doing a funny voice or well, i'll just tell you i'm leah martin but i mean that is helpful pretty you know, boring I thought, now. I thought i thought you were mark frost and we were oh, gonna yeah, try yeah. And do... i don't know Can what he sounds mark... like yeah, <laughs> you could have done anything do it go on do a mark frost impression I'm, 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 I'm Shagrot. <laughs> go. Throwback. Throwback hey, there you episode. go. I'm, Sha- I'm Shagrot. Captain Shagrot to you, son. Um, yeah, I'm Liam Martin, and welcome to Dark Matter. And we are here, as always, to talk bollocks for approximately one hour about a piece of dark fiction to debate between us and decide, discuss its merits, dissect its inner workings, and decide whether it merits a place inside the creepy corridors of the Hall of Pain. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> See, that, that was a laugh, but in reverse. <laughs> it's very like a, like a, what's it called, the Black Lodge. Exactly. Like someone from the Black Lodge. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh-huh. yep. <laughs> I'm not sure if I can do better one, <laughs> No, you um. nailed it. You absolutely nailed it. Uh, and if this wasn't enough of a clue, this somewhat surreal introduction, the subject we're going to discuss this week is... Oh, whose turn is it? I don't even know anymore. You, you just normally tell us all about it, and I kind of... <laughs> Take the piss occasionally. Um, that's, that's basically the established formula. Yeah, so in other words, we pretend to take it in turns it's to actually, pitch one it, subject it, to the it, other. It's hard to say. It could be your turn because last time it was... Abby's turn. Community-driven, Commun- yeah. Community and the time driven. before that, it was my turn. So I suppose it's your turn, but... I'll take it. I'll claim the credit. Yeah. We are, of course, here to discuss <laughs> the TV multi-decade spanning surrealist bizarre comedy horror crime drama series and associated spin-offs twin peaks yep we've saved you a big hitter this is the penultimate episode of the show of course of series one of dark natter so we thought we'd bust out 
the big guns and talk about one of, well, uh, not to give any spoilers as to whether it's going to successfully end up in the Hall of Pain or not, but one of our favourite shows. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Which, (laughs) uh, yeah, does it get into the Hall of Pain? We'll see. Who knows? Probably not knowing us, but... uh, Watch this space and you'll find out. Yeah, maybe it does. 100% record, remember, but this could be the week, even though we both love it, as we've already established. And And we are the uh, sole panel, so what would basically happen is one of us would have to do such a crap job of explaining why it's good that they convince the other one that it's not good and they decide not to put it in. I I think I'm up to that task. (laughs) You're going to take that challenge head on. (laughs) Uh, Well, in that case, I'm going to let you start then. How would you sum up? What is Twin Peaks then? What's it all about? So Twin Peaks is a TV show directed by David Lynch, who, you know, traditionally um, makes feature-length films. But this was his foray into television, mm-hmm. and essentially, it's kind of a, a very, very odd, weird, violent, just nightmarish whodunit. Yes, um, it, it's a yeah. I mean, that is the, the central premise. Is the very first scene, I believe, fisherman goes out, discovers a body wrapped in. Well, when you do the impression, she, she's dead, wrapped in plastic. Jack Nance, that in it from Eraserhead. Jack, that's right. Yeah, one of uh, an old Lynch, Lynch's stalwarts. I think he's. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah, they have this. The directors have these little. It's a bit like Quentin Tarantino yeah. with you know Uma Thurman yeah, and loads, Samuel L. Jackson yeah. and all them lot. Like they have the same people in all this stuff. But I really like that Jack Nance is in loads of Lynch things. Like I watched June the other week, and he was in that unexpectedly. He's got a very small part in. Uh, Wild at Heart as well, if I remember oh, correctly. And that, that was one. the first Lynch thing I ever saw. Um, what a film. Weirdly. But so, yeah, it, it basically finds a dead body. The body belongs to a local girl named Laura Palmer. And... Palmer. That is kind of, yeah, who, who done it? Who murdered her? What, you know, how did she die? What, what's going on? So they get the FBI in uh, to try and crack the case. Absolutely. But, um, and, and I think it's maybe that... In and of itself, that setup was oh, it's a TV series that is a whodunit murder mystery. At least at face value, that's what it opens. Yes, as. yeah. What I don't f- always forget and can never fully appreciate because I only watched it. You know, we were like eight years old when it came out in 1991. Mm. Um, you know, you were probably nine, maybe even ten. Yep, you're older than me, aren't you? You're like an older. I, I would have been. I would have been nine. An older yeah. boy. Um, I only ended up watching it, I think, in the noughties at some point because loads of people were like, Dave, <clears throat> John, you've got to watch Twin... You know, what do you mean you've never seen Twin Peaks? It's You'd love it. Are you crazy? And of course, as we all know, because I always bang on about it, I'm a massive Silent Hill fan and Twin Peaks is a huge influence on that series as it is also a huge influence on flipping everything, like pretty much all yeah. of TV and almost all... And I guess that's my point, really, is you, perhaps if you in this generation or younger, you don't realise how influential Twin Peaks was at mm. the time. Like, there'd never been a whodunit murder mystery TV show apart from cheesy soaps like blooming Who Shot JR in Dallas. That's right, yeah. And also just the fact that it's a Lynch um, production yeah. as well because he's not exactly... He'd done June by this point, which was kind of his attempt at making a sort of major, sort of mainstream motion picture, yeah. and that didn't exactly turn out as as planned really it was a flop. but you know pri- prior to this he had made 
um, a razor head. Um, he had made uh, Blue Velvet, yeah, which is you know, very brilliant yeah, film actually, yeah. But um, not not the sort of thing you'd imagine seeing on mainstream telly. You know, you you couldn't imagine murder she wrote what's her name who, who was the main oh, woman in murder she wrote what's her Ms. name Marple. What's, oh, Angela Angela or oh, is that the actress Angela Lansbury or is that the actress I think that's the actress yeah. oh I can't remember but you're exactly right yeah it wouldn't be the kind of safe cosy it's, it's like a dream in it it's like what if David Lynch made an episode of a kind of cosy soap murder mystery it's like or a, a whole series sorry uh, Jessica Fletcher that's that it there. well done well, I wonder what I wonder what if she'd have solved it because bloody Dale Cooper never managed it, did he? Well, a dick. We'll get there. <laughs> Sorry. We'll get there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, well, I mentioned Dale Cooper there, and I immediately regret slagging him off because he is, of course, one of the greatest TV show characters of all time. He, I think, he only comes in very late in the in the sort of pilot episode, if I remember rightly. So, a lot of that episode is spent showcasing the town's immense kind of grief at Laura's death. She's the prom queen. She's beloved by a lot of the the townsfolk. And people are just reduced into kind of tears. They can't believe they're absolutely devastated, not just her parents, but, you know, even like the police deputy. You've got Deputy Andy, who at the crime scene is just blubbing his eyes out and can't stop crying. Yeah. Um, You know, this is a sort of small town, small community... Um, so yeah, you know, everybody kind of knows everybody else, but yeah, so we we don't see Dale Cooper for a while. Yeah, he um, finally is called in, and we see him journeying into the town, and he's on the. Is he recording? It's like a dictaphone message. He's not. He's not speaking to yeah. a phone. He's he's got a dictaphone. It's almost like he's recording like a journal, but he's he's directing the journal for the attention of someone called Diane, who. Certainly in the in the original series one and two in the early nineties, we never ever meet this person. We never see Diane. We never really find anything about her. We just know that Cooper is constantly talking to Diane. I'm entering the town of Twin Peaks, and he he explains that he's there to investigate this murder, the the body of Laura Palmer that's been found. And then yeah, from episode two onwards, it basically follows Dale Cooper's investigation, and he is just uh, yeah. like the most kind of positive enthusiastic yeah. happy it's, it's kind of hard to put your finger on it he's not he's not irritatingly happy all the time no he's just a, he seems like a really lovely a great bloke to be around doesn't he and like nation you know audiences across the world kind of fell in love with him really well yeah because there's always that cliche isn't there in these um kind of cop shows where when the FBI get called in, there's always big conflict between the local law enforcement and the FBI. Yeah. And they kind of address that initially. And Cooper kind of puts um, the the sheriff at ease. Yeah. You know, straight he just knocks it on the head. You assume thing. he's going to be this slick. Because he is very slick. He's got kind of slick back gelled black hair. Yeah, he's very handsome. Yeah. He's in a suit. You assume he's going to be steaming in. I'm taking charge of this investigation. But instead, he's just really nice and polite and friendly and respectful. And just t- tell... Sheriff Harry Truman, they they just get on straight away. Yeah, yeah, exactly, which is a real swerve. And there's so many good bits in even in that first couple of episode. Kind of, I think if I've got my facts right, the pilot was like a it was almost like a double episode. But I might have got that wrong. Yes, yeah. Um, and there's like, I, I mean, for me, it starts with the music initially. Yeah. I fell in love with Twin Peaks. Brilliant. The the theme music 
is just sensational. And each character, not each character, but a lot of different characters, particularly Audrey yeah. is one that springs to mind, have got their own kind of themes, their their own kind of soundtracks. And um, it's just, it's, the music is absolutely like, spectacular yeah, all by, throughout. Very dreamy. Very, it's Angelo Badalamenti, isn't it? Yeah, with a um, couple of songs in there by... Julie Cruz. Ju- Julie Cruz, yeah. God, do you want to say that bit again? No, I'll just yeah, scrap. No, it's all right. It's all right. I'll cobble it. I'll cobble <laughs> it together. But yeah, she, yeah, you're right. That soundtrack is a great listen, isn't it? And it puts you immediately in that dreamlike state. It really does. Yeah, it has got a very dreamlike quality. You know, Lynch kind of famously a lot of his work it sort of explores the the realm of dream, doesn't yeah. it? And uh, yeah, it puts you into that kind of dream state straight away. And you kind of get Cooper's. Again, maybe you're expecting him to be this kind of like slimy city slicker who doesn't like all the backwards, you know, mountain folk kind of ways. But actually, he falls in love with the place, doesn't he? He's, he's talking about how great... Yeah. You've got to tell me, what are these fantastic trees you got here, Sheriff? He's like, he's blown away by all the nature that he's suddenly immersed in. And the coffee, the best coffee, the best pie. And, uh, you know, like you said, it just... Such a positive that, force of good. He goes to the... They've got a diner, haven't they, called the Double R... And again, it's like this, like almost perfect idyllic kind of friendly local neighborhood diner with smiling, beautiful waitresses, and all the locals go in and they eat the cherry pie and they drink the coffee, and everyone's happy. And there's that bit where he, he sat down and he 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 takes a sip of a coffee and he just says, "That is, excuse me, a damn good cup of coffee." <laughs> like, almost yeah. as if he's like so overcome that he can't contain himself with how good this cup of coffee is. And so with. With Cooper coming in and starting to investigate, he's kind of like our. Oh, he he's kind of like the viewer, yeah, isn't yeah. he? Really, he comes into it. He's he's investigating. He's seeing this place for the first time, and as the investigation rumbles on, you know things start to unravel. And actually, this perfect little yeah. town isn't quite as perfect as as you'd imagine. Everyone's got their own secrets, yeah. and especially Laura Palmer, the. The uh, the girl who who was killed, yeah, the blonde, blue eyed, um, innocent, beautiful prom queen who was dating the captain of the football team. It turns out that he's like a really troubled young man, and she was, you yeah. know, potentially drugs and all sorts. Of, we, we, sorry, we should probably do a spoiler warning. We won't give away some of the absolutely key things. Like we're not going to say who the killer was because there's no need to. But we will unavoidably be be spoiling a few things. Like for example, right now that. Laura Palmer obviously has got this kind of troubled, troubled, almost like an mm. alternate life where she's having a f- multiple yes, affairs yeah. with multiple different men. She's doing drugs, and uh, yeah, she's she's clearly not as sort of picture perfect life as perhaps everyone thought she had. Yeah, and I think um, yeah, that's kind of just kind of what ha- what we discover. In <laughs> it's not even that her. Her life isn't, you know, it's not the drugs, the the reality side of it. There's some real kind of weird supernatural yeah. stuff going on as well. And you see, you get a glimpse of that in the pilot episode. Like liter- literally a first glimpse. kind of introduction to, to Bob. And, oh, uh, well, maybe we should... I, I suppose just, just before then, we get onto the supernatural element of the show, which is where it, you know, it does get distinctly Lynchian. I suppose yes. another Lynchian kind of trope that it, the series revels in is, as part of that that set in Twin Peaks, you have got a cast of absolutely crackpot 
crazy, lovable, mad characters. Like, it'd mm. take us all episode just to list them all, but, you know, the log lady, a woman who literally just carries yeah. a big log of wood around that she talks to and tells people that the log's got great insights into the the world and the cosmos. You've got, like, um, oh, what's her name? Is it Norma, the, the lady with an eye patch? Yeah. She's got an eye patch. Uh, Nadine, 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 sorry. No, Norma's the double half lady. Yeah, Nadine's got yeah. the eye patch, and she's kind of this really needy, clingy wife to... The guy called Big Ed, who who you know works in the runs the local petrol station and seems a bit kind of downtrodden, like a really nice man, but he's been a bit. Uh, she's obsessed with uh, silent curtains, yeah. and yeah. it's just <laughs> why? Yeah, really bizarre. She wants to make a set of drapes that will run completely silently, and that's all she ever talks about. Oh, and who else is there? Oh, for arguably one of my favourites is uh, Doctor Jacoby. I was just about to say that, yeah. <laughs> he's a very uh, sort of odd character. And just, and like, he, like you said, there are so many, you, you'd struggle, wouldn't you? To... And just little choices like he wears, I don't think it's ever directly explained or mentioned, but he wears 3D glasses, like one red, one blue <laughs> lens throughout the series. Yeah. Well, why does he do that? Just a weirdo. You know what I mean? Just loads of... And so anytime you ever watch a show, play a video game, read a book... And it's about a quirky small town with weirdos living in it, and a you know some sort of seedy underbelly. They, that's a rip off of Twin Peaks. It, exactly, everything yeah. came it's from Twin, Twin Peaks. Peaks. You know, it's just so influential. Yeah. But yeah, sorry, you wanted to move on, perhaps onto the supernatural side that starts to creep in. Well, well, no, I just, it just, I mean, it, the thing about Twin Peaks is we were talking about this before the episode about how you know what we were going to talk about because. Quite frankly, we could be here for hours and hours and hours dissecting every little yeah. detail because, and people have done that. People, you know, a lot not smarter than me because there's just so much going on and there's so so much subtext and just so many minor details in just odd threads that go sometimes seemingly nowhere and other threads that take you into the the supernatural realm and. It's just a very, very, it's an easy show to watch and kind of understand to an extent. But if you really want to sort of get your head around it, you've got to really kind of go down the rabbit hole, don't you? The central premise is simple, murdered girl, detective trying to crack the case, but... To really unravel it all is where do you begin? Where do you begin and, and maybe that kind of reflects an element of the du- the duality of how it was created. So we've talked a lot about Lynch. I think we, although I referenced him earlier, I probably forgot to mention the show is co-written, co-created by Mark Frost and David Lynch. Lynch is the director, the man behind the camera. Frost is is the writer, the kind of lead writer. And I, I sometimes get the impression, although this is probably doing a massive disservice to Frost, and I think he probably does get almost like forgotten about given how how famous Lynch is but Frost is writing the the outwardly visible story the kind of soap Mm. opera melodrama murder mystery and a lot of the characters and their interactions and who's having an affair with who and who's and then Lynch is layering on top of that all this kind of symbolism and metaphor yeah. and visual craziness that, you know, multiple layers of meaning, or maybe there's no meaning and it's a deliberate that you just left to ponder it for decades without an answer. But it, it does feel like it's working on, I know it sounds really corny, doesn't it? But it's working on many different levels. Mm. Well, it's funny you say that because there are a couple of um, companion books 
to the Twin Peaks uh, series. Course. There is, you might have them to hand. I don't have them to hand. It, well, I've got what they I've got two of them, but I've never. Well, I, I just wanted to make a point that Mark Frost he wrote a couple of these companion books. Yes, and they're good. And they kind of it was just about that kind of conflict almost between Lynch and Frost. Not conflict, but you know what I mean. Just what I want to say about the books. Um, it's just that I think Mark Frost kind of tries to spell some of these things out for you to make it a bit more digestible. And I think, I believe Lynch is kind of with a sort of, you know, twinkle in his eye has kind of said mm, that's his interpretation of it. It's not necessarily my interpretation of it. So just that point you said about, you know, the kind of dual creators, they maybe do have slightly different visions for yeah, I feel I almost feel like Frost is a bit more literal. You've you've got the you've got the Secret Diary of Laura Palmer that I think came out in the nineties, and then more recently he's done the the Secret History of Twin Peaks, and then Twin Peaks: The Final Dossier, and those two books are like beautiful, made to look as if they're like an FBI file with loads of inlays mm. and photographs, amazing. But they do read very much like he's trying to tie up every last plot thread and tell you what happened to every last character. Yeah. yeah. Whereas you get the impression that Lynch doesn't really give a shit about any of that at all because it's all symbolism and metaphor to him. Exactly. Well, this is what I'm saying. It's such a difficult thing to talk about. There's so much going on. Uh, where to next, my friend? Where to M- next? Maybe you wanted, you were going to touch on the kind of supernatural angle which we perhaps haven't got to yet but that very much starts to creep in perhaps more so towards the end of series one yeah so and i'd like you to do it all backwards if you can okay oh christ bob there you go (laughs) that's that's backwards (laughs) a a palindromic summary of um, yeah well 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 you just kind of you start to see different characters introduced there's very i don't even know where to start i did you you see a, in the pilot you see a brief glimpse of this character that's known as bob who's kind of an entity a force of evil who was actually wasn't he played by like just one of the yeah the, the way i understand it which i hope this is not a kind of apocryphal story because it's a cool story is frank silver was like a I don't know the wardrobe guy, just yeah, backstage like behind that, the scenes it? guy. They'd they'd written I assume they'd written all of season one, but they hadn't remotely decided what they were going to do with season two yet, or with or they they were you know they didn't know fully what direction they were going to take this in, so they hadn't cast this part yet. And then quite by accident, they caught a reflection of this wardrobe technician, whatever the correct term is in the mirror during a shot, which obviously, in theory, ruined the shot. But instead, because he just looks really cool, like Frank Silver is, to me, one of the coolest guys. You could, He's got a denim jacket on and that really, like, lank grey... Um, is he of kind of Native American heritage? I think he is. Yeah, he kind of looks like he could But be, instead yeah. of having the, like, long, dark hair and looking very kind of dignified and regal and, you know, like Deputy Hawk in the police force... He, 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 the police department of the Twin Peaks, he instead looks really kind of creepy. He's got that really sleazy kind of grin, evil-looking eyes. And I think Lynch just saw this reflection was like, boom, you're cast, you're playing Bob, you look amazing. 
um, yeah. which is just fantastic. And he, he actually sadly passed away, I think, well, definitely before they were able, they started the, the third comeback uh, season. Yeah, it was in like the mid, mid-90s. I think he died, yeah, which is really sad. So yeah, K- Killer Barb, or just Barb, as he's known, he... In, in effect, we start to feel the presence of some supernatural forces at play in the town. And you see mm. this through strange dreams that people either talk about, or in the case of Dale Cooper, we actually see him having start to have these strange dreams and kind of visions. Um, and he's, by the way, he's not a kind of logical, old-school, by-the-book FBI no. detective. He fully embraces all these kind of quirky methods you know at one point he's saying the names of suspects and chucking a stone at a bottle and if he smashes the bottle that means they're the prime suspects (laughs) but yeah we start to see these things and we see this character barb it's almost like laura palmer's mum seems to be channeling him in some way and she keeps seeing him hiding around the house and we and we see um there's a little fella, the the man from another place, who we see in the red room. Uh, again, as you mentioned in Dale Cooper's dream, who speaks uh, backwards. So that that's, explains that joke. <laughs> so um, you ruined the joke now. You had to explain. Oh, I don't know. Yes. You know, and just one episode, it just ends up with him like dancing, doesn't it? I think and, that might even be at the end of the first season. You know. I think when you when you at the end of the whole season, well, yeah. When you watch it back, I, I was surprised to find that series one has very little of the kind of Bob and the Black Lodge stuff. All that comes in very much towards the end of the series, and then kind of spills over into season two, where it it starts to you know ramps up very rapidly. But yeah, the the iconic little kind of well, what, what's the? I, I apologise that I do not know the correct term anymore, and I'm going to Google it. There you go. Hang on. Correct term for person with dwarfism. Oh, okay. Little person is apparently a correct, an acceptable term. L- little person dwarf cool. or LP, which is quite cool. So yeah, um, you, you, yeah, and then and then there's like uh, the one-armed man and who seems to have at, at who, least who, two, who is linked to the little person. Actually, he seems to have at least two personalities, doesn't he, Mike? Like yeah. one of them is just this like. You know why? Why have why have you come to arrest me? What's going on? He's upset and hysterical, and then he's got this other personality that's really confident and dark and speaking about dark things. And doesn't he say, "Whose dream does he appear in when he reads that amazing poem?" You know the the fire walk with me yeah. poem. Oh, I might if I can find a clip of that. I might kind of try and splice that in. <laughs> Darkness of future past, the magician longs to see. One chance out between two worlds. Fire, walk with me. We lived among the people. You say, convenience store. We lived above it. I mean it like it is, like it sounds. I, too, have been touched by the devilish one. Tattoo on the left shoulder. But when I saw the face of God, I was changed. 
took the entire arm off. My name is Mike. His name is Bob. Mike. Mike. Can you hear me? Catch you with my death bag. You may think I'm gone insane. But yeah, the show definitely, but certainly by the end of the first series, is a full-blown surrealist, you know, it's mm. gone dead weird. And I think people by that point were either on, for, on, the, on board and in it for the, the ride of where's this going to leave, or perhaps some of the weirdness had, you know, started to put a few people off and the viewing figures had started to tail off a little bit. Yeah, and, and I mean, there are lots of, you know, subplots as well, aren't there? Sheriff Truman is secretly seeing uh, Josie Packard. Who owns the sawmill and, and yeah. just all this kind of melodrama, soap opera stuff. Yeah, that that's the thing. There is, there is a kind of very sort of soapy elements there, aren't there? Um, Definitely. It's certainly all that kind of... Pe- just mixed. And the, one thing as well, like the, a lot of the cast, very attractive. Oh, yeah. Which was kind of a main, you know, staple of American primetime TV wasn't it? it and and soap operas in general you know unnaturally attractive not everybody of course you know there were some that it probably wasn't suitable for them to be but all the sort of younger people in in the show yeah yeah there was like a stunningly beautiful cast of and, and a lot of people yeah. were kind of iconic weren't they like Audrey you mentioned earlier Audrey Horn who's like the daughter of the town's kind of local tycoon who's trying to demolish all the forest yeah. so he can build some apartments or whatever it is and she's this like sort of pampered princess uh what's the word dreamy air not airheaded because she's very smart and sort of manipulative but she seems to walk around in a bit of a dream state in a bit of a daze and Mm. she's always smiling she's got her own theme tune but she's like a complete sex symbol at the time yeah and and the guys as well and so it had that kind of real soap opera sort of sentiment but with just this really Weird and also quite violent. Um, oh, crashing juxtaposition! You had you could li- you could literally within one episode you could go from a scene where someone's plotting to take over the sawmill and you know because she's having an affair with the aforementioned tycoon and just real like dynasty dynasty whatever you say it dynasty Dallas mm. kind of stuff. And then the next scene would be a bonkers dream sequence in a red room with a one-armed man saying poetry backwards while there's a dwarf dancing behind him and then do you know what i mean and then the next scene would be some like daft comedy silly comedy bit with like deputy andy and his and his um, receptionist at the police station who he was trying to sort of you know who he obviously was keen on but Kept kept blundering into you know walking into walls slapstick. So it was like of this crazy mashup of all these different styles. But I think that is part of its charm. Uh, totally, yeah. But it's also one of the reasons why it's so bloody difficult to kind of quickly skate oh, yeah. over what Twin Peaks is about and what kind of happens in it. It's very hard to explain it to somebody, isn't it? You just have to watch it. If you if you're listening, you to, just have to watch I, it. And if you like the first episode, you're probably going to like the whole thing or, or, well maybe that's a, a link into season two so season mm. one started in first day of 1990 
heading into 1991. And we're talking a show that was a massive, mega success. So it was, you know, tens of millions of viewers, one of the most watched things on the TV. It was a huge, you know, in North America, this was the show. Everyone was talking about it at work, you know, water cooler chat, who killed Laura Palmer? But then the general consensus is that season two loses its way. And one of the reasons it loses its way is because the ratings started to fall... The network, whoever, whichever TV network it was that was broadcasting it, it's on uh, ABC. Oh, ABC. There you go. Th- they put a lot of pressure on Lynch and Frost as well. I'm sure to to reveal the killer. And Lynch, I think, has stated in the past that their original intention it wasn't just that they wanted to string it out to the end of season two. They potentially were never going to reveal the killer, and it was going to be this unsolvable mystery that, and that was almost like not the point of the show, but. They came under that network pressure, and about halfway through season two's kind of twenty odd episodes, you do fi- you actually do find out, and we won't say it here, who Laura Palm who killed Laura Palmer. It is revealed, and that's actually worth mention- uh, talking about as well. Is that the first season was only eight episodes, and as you say, it became so popular that the second season, like they said, t- over twenty episodes, twenty two episodes in the end. Yeah. Uh, albeit that, and that might have even been premature because it kind of got cancelled, didn't it? Yeah, it, it just sort of dropped off a cliff when... So Lynch, in effect... I'm, I'm never quite sure of, of exactly how this worked because he sort of... He didn't He wasn't the direct, He didn't direct every episode. He, he was in and out. Mm. He was almost like he'd started the thing and then he'd dip in. But once he was forced to reveal, or they were forced to reveal the killer, he basically kind of sulked off and wasn't really involved with the show anymore, is my understanding. And you had a different rating And then team. it became really shit. Albeit very... It became very funny. <laughs> yeah, some of the... Like, there was yeah. some really funny stuff in it, but it just wasn't very good. And it, and it was padded because, you essentially, the whole point Massively. of the show, who killed Laura Palmer, that mystery had been solved. Well, what's the show about? The show is now just about... A load of characters who you like doing stuff. The, the show is now a soap opera. Correct. Exactly. You know. There was no real in a, in a way they didn't really have a show. They brought in a new villain who's all right, mm. but he's a bit you know a bit weak, a bit silly. It was, it was a bit pantomime. I, I Definitely. Found. Um, so I think if if you love the characters as much as we did, you probably will sit through series two and enjoy mm. even those latter episodes. But it's definitely worth watching the first ten or eleven up to the point of the big the big reveal. Yeah, and and I mean the whole the, the bit afterwards, like I, I did actually find it a bit of a struggle just to to carry on watching because it did. I mean, I was always going to watch all of them, but my interests definitely waned. Yeah, it's not it. It just became a bit of shit, but then it did get better right at the end because Lynch kind of came back to 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 finish the job, and, and he did manage it? somehow to to out of the ashes of what he created, he did manage to drag something decent in terms of the big the season two finale. Is it, we probably will spoil that here because that does lead into the the plot of season three. So I um, so yep. if you don't want a spoiler for the end of season two finale then um then tough because you're getting one yeah um, you you can't really avoid no, it if you're going to talk season about three it, in any in any level of detail so in effect dale cooper goes into the black lodge which is this strange dreamlike limbo place where a lot of these spirits and supernatural things reside ostensibly with the intention of um destroying and defeating barb the the sinister um, 
spirit that's kind of uh, responsible, ultimately responsible for the the death of Laura Palmer and various other killings, which is why he's first dispatched to, to investigate because he's been involved with some of those other cases. And Dale Cooper emerges from the Black Lodge, but as we see in the very final scene, what emerges is not lovely, lovable, happy, optimistic, positive Dale Cooper. It's some twisted doppelganger who grins evilly and smashes his head into the bathroom mirror, drawing blood. And yeah, and you, and you see Bob's reflection. Brilliant. Like you as well. So good, that bit. So good. Yeah. And, and you left, and having sat through about ten episodes of shite, I was left on a reel like, oh my God, I can't believe that's the ending. It's going to finish on that note. That's awful. Yeah, because that was in, what, 1991? Correct. And then there was a film after that, which we'll talk about in a minute, but the actual kind of what happened to Cooper isn't really addressed until Twin Peaks came back, what, 25 years later? So it's a hell of a cliffhanger. Yeah, you just almost, whether it was by design, well, it wasn't by design because the show got cancelled, but you were given this incredible sort of cliffhanger, not, not so much a cliffhanger in the sense that, you know, yes, obviously people would want to know what happened. It was almost just a it just a sense of unresolved, you know, people knew that yeah. the series had been cancelled, people knew that Lynch's involvement had been a bit, uh, his creative vision had been somewhat undermined, and people loved Dale Cooper, and so they, they just wanted this sense of closure, I think, from this beloved yeah. series that had come and gone so kind of fleetingly. But then, yeah, if they thought they were going to get that closure with the movie, yeah, well... They didn't, <laughs> did they? No, not at all. Nineteen ninety two. So yeah, like you said, so Lynch came back to direct that final episode. Uh, he certainly, it was a great episode, you know, really good ending as well. And then he made the film, but I don't really know the full story surrounding the film, but it kind of felt like maybe, I think it's great, by the way, Firewalk With Me came out in uh, 92, but it kind of felt like, his hands were tied a little bit because not all the cast wanted to come back. I think uh, Dale Cooper, for yeah, instance, Carl McLachlan didn't was, wasn't necessarily was that worried keen. about being sort of typecast yeah. by this point. So he he was in it, but not. It's not about him at all, really. No, is it? he's almost almost like a cameo, really. Mm. Um, and the film, the film, it's interesting. Sorry, just a, one more point about the film. It's billed as well as a prequel and a sequel to. Uh, very Peaks, which is only Lynch, only Lynch. Yeah, it, and, it, and it maybe we talked about how if you take Lynch away, you get Frost and you get something that feels a little bit like a soap opera without the sinister edge. To an extent in Firewalk With Me, when you took Frost away, you got something mm. that was just all sinister, all dark. And I think fans mm. of the series who loved the whole cherry pie and had cup of joe, they were a bit flummoxed and so oh well what's this this is not the twin peaks that we used to like this is just some like sordid kind of sleazy town with a you know people stripping in the local nightclub and a, a, not gratuitous but you know quite lengthy focus on the murder scene because yeah it is a prequel yeah. and the other issue with the film to an extent is it's a prequel but we already know who did it so it, mm. you know it doesn't quite have that same intrigue about you're, you're just kind of seeing Sort of Laura's final days, almost. Aren't Correct. You? And Which is compelling. It's, you, I agree with you. It's a bloody oh, very, great very. Film. But it's as you say, you know what's going to happen, and it and it ain't nice. No. So. And I can see, therefore, even though we like it, I can see why it was a flop, and it was a flop. 
even though it's become critically mm. quite well regarded recently, at the time it wasn't well reviewed and it didn't make a lot of money. So it, it almost felt like that was kind of the final nail in the Twin Peaks coffin, really. Um, yeah, and there you go. That's the end of the episode. Uh, yeah. So, or is it? And what it? we're now going to do is leave it on a cliffhanger for 25 years. Yeah. <laughs> and then you can come back. Well, sorry, I'm going to ruin it now because there is one more thing I wanted to say about Firewalk with me. You carry on, you got, carry I've on. got the pacing all wrong. I've blown the cliffhanger. I've, oh. I'm, like, I'm like the network. I'm like ABC. I'm ruining your creative vision. Um, is, of course, Firewalk with me does introduce us to some of Dale Cooper's FBI colleagues we see David Lynch himself, as as we saw in season two, I think, as Gordon Cole, the FBI kind of director, who, you know, not only does he have the iconic David Lynch voice, but he also, he has a hearing aid, and he can't hear very yeah. well, so he shouts a lot! <laughs> it's quite funny. Um, <laughs> but we also meet Philip Jeffries, very briefly, played by David Bowie, which is like, yep. what a weird scene that is. You just... Really weird, McCla- yeah. Great yeah. scene, actually. I like that. McClacklin's in the, whatever you call it, the FBI, you know, building. He's having a conversation with Gordon Cole. And then Jeffrey's just kind of teleports in, says this really frightening, weird monologue where he's like, who do you think that is there? In a crap American accent, like, pointing at Cooper. And then he just teleports away and buggers off again. Well, he said, and he says, "We're not going to talk about Judy. Yeah, we are not going to talk about Judy." And it's like, "What? Who is Judy? What's he talking? What's going on?" Yeah. So, just more questions. Yeah, pilot. Uh, it's like, like we said, like this idea that the film was going to answer your questions. Nope, it just exactly, piled yeah, about no. five hundred more onto the stack. And you've got another FBI, Chester Desmond, who's played by uh, Chris Isaac, the. I don't want to fall in love. I don't know what to react to first, really, because your rendition was beautiful. (laughs) Beautiful. But I didn't know that was Chris Isaac. I've never made that connection before. That's so funny. I I used that that song, just without going into too much detail, the video for that song was probably the closest you could get to like freely available porn when I was about twelve. So yeah, it was a good song. Yeah. Who was that woman? Um, anyway, we'll never know. So there you go. Yeah, it's um, it's over. It's it's, a, it's worth a watch though, isn't it? If Definitely. You, if you enjoy, it's it's just like you said, pure Lynch, isn't it? And that's great for Unadulterated me. Unadulterated Lynch, right? Blasted into your eyeballs. Yeah. Whether you like it or not. And then, amazingly, but you thought you'd it, never it, see it, but twenty-five years later, yeah, like Twin Peaks. The return. We sometimes talk about like how the world feels like it's gone completely mad bonkers in the last few years. Like loads of really weird shit that you never, you know, bad stuff like Brexit and bloody Donald Trump and uh, you know Leicester City winning the Premier League. It, it feels like we're in this like weird parallel universe. But there have been one or two really ace good things you never thought would yeah. happen, and this is one of them. Twin Peaks making a comeback after twenty five years. Like I couldn't could not believe that it happened but it did it was great and every episode directed by david lynch every episode written by frost and lynch yep. so this is pure this is what you want proper and it I ca- proper the, probably the, the best moment of the whole thing was in the very first episode when oh and where do you even start to try and explain season three if you thought series one and two oh, were mad Christ, this is Jesus. a new level of complete 
barely comprehensible insanity that just jumps around but all over the place. Absolutely brilliant. It's, it as is well. my, in my opinion, Twin Peaks: The Return is the best thing that's ever been on TV. The best TV series of all time. I loved it. I couldn't, you know, couldn't wait for the next episode. Every time it ended each week. It's interesting because, in terms of something that stuck with me. It, it, you can't fault it. It's for for weeks, months after watching it, I'm thinking about it. I'm still googling stuff about yeah. it, going on to forums, watching videos, listening so, to the soundtrack. Yeah, you, I mean, what what more can you ask for? You don't do that for just any old shit. It's do you? absolutely. But you do. I do think you have to have seen series one and two to get the most out of it, because you won't get that. It almost had this tragic element of like so. We're seeing all these characters 25 years later. They did a great job of assembling the cast and getting virtually everyone who was in the original series back, you know, other than the ones who were tragically dead, like Frank Silver, who played Bob. And we were lucky because some, maybe five, six people did this series and then died. So we got this yeah. real sort of fortunate last chance to see the likes of, um, the likes of Miguel Ferrer, who played Albert, that... Loads of people I'm forgetting, but people who just you wouldn't have if they'd have made this a year later, we wouldn't have been able to see them in the show. So it was well, the lot the log lady is a good yeah. example because she, as you learn, is quite an important character really in kind of the in the whole supernatural sense of it, and um, she visibly is you know terminally ill when she's on an oxygen oxygen canister in the show and i think that was kind of real and it's so yeah really poignant scenes with her because she's talking to deputy orc over the phone about her impending death and she's it's kind of like the actress is talking about a real mortality and and like you know when you see big ed and he looks dead old and sad Mm. because he still never got together with norma and his hair's gray and he's kind of tried to cut it in like a cool, trendy way, which looks a little bit tragic because he's clearly 70-odd. Like, I, I find it really sad just seeing them old. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd agree with that. They, because I guess we mentioned it earlier, well, I mentioned it earlier about how sort of attractive and young everybody was. Yeah. And oh, yeah. The, the, the people who were kind of supposed to be young and attractive, and now they're not. No, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, hey, I just want to see attractive people on TV, but I just feel like that was a conscious decision to make it almost soap opera like to have these cast these people, and then now you do see them, and they are you sort of see their mortality, and it's quite moving. Yeah, but but I'll tell you, who doesn't look old, who barely looks like he's aged a day, is Kyle MacLachlan himself, who's in, in frankly incredible shape. His hair still looks spot on. He still looks so handsome and dapper in his suit. But not only is he playing Dale Cooper, who is hmm. manifested in this kind of shell of himself that people mistake for this local, um, I guess, sort of local sleazebag called Dougie Jones, and he just kind of shuffles through a lot of the series as this, you know, barely, he's barely able to string a sentence together, kind of, what's the word, Ment- sort of mentally <laughs> subnormal guy. But he also plays the doppelganger who's been running riot for 25 years pretending to be Dale Cooper and has got really long hair as if in the style of Bob and just looks like the most yeah. evil, badass, 
horrible oh, motherfucker that you've ever seen. Really badass as well. And oh, that's the amazing thing. He's just what an actor. What an that, actor. Howie was not. He should have been shout. They should have invented new awards just to give them to Carl McLachlan for his performance in that series. It's criminal that he didn't win win more awards for it because he's he's amazing. Like a revelation. And there's the uh, contrast again with Dougie. Uh, it's almost like over the top comedy character. Yeah. And then, you know, Bad Cooper, who is just over the top evil character. It's just it's brilliant from one scene to the next. So it's like you know one, yeah, just mad, yeah. And you mad. and you genuinely felt it wasn't like oh I'm sick of seeing Karma Clacklin here. He's in every scene as one character or another. You didn't feel that at all because you believed that they were different people because he was so different. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, I agree. And it, and not only him, you know, there's a, it's a great cast. Lynch himself is in it in quite a major role, yeah. which is brilliant. And of course, uh, Laura Dern. We finally get to meet Diane in in the flesh. And again, Laura Dern is someone we've we've seen in a few other Lynch uh, films as well. Of course, yeah, another popular kind of Lynch actress. Diane is not the character. Diane is maybe not what we expected her to be like. No, I, yeah, I was about to. To a spoiler, then, but I won't. But, well, um, I guess there's a there's an element of that character exists in order to maybe show us the extent of how horrible, evil doppelganger Cooper has been because of all this damage that is inflicted mm. on the people around him who loved him previously. One of whom, of course, was Diane, who is now this kind of embittered, cynical, hard drinking, chain smoking bitch, basically. What what about you? Did you have any other fave characters in the in the return? Um, what from the new series or just overall? New series. Hmm. Well, I guess um, little uh, horn. Oh, I thought you were going to say Ike the Spike. Ike the Spike was awesome. Um, <laughs> yes. You meant Jerry Jerry Horn. Jerry Horn. It was yeah. just Ace. absolute fucker, wasn't he? And in, and in the new series, he just spends the whole thing kind of wrecked, doesn't he, on his homegrown kind of weed that he's trying to sell. He's just oh massive... no no no! Sorry, I'm talking about. Um... Oh, I'm so sorry. That's right. Right? Yeah. You mean uh, Dick Horn? Ri- yeah. Richard Horn? Yeah. Bloody hell! What a absolute piece of shit he is. Real piece God. of shit, yeah. Awful, what a horror... Like, and you know how, like, probably you as well, but I, like, I love villains. Yes. And I tend to find myself kind of siding with them a lot of the time. So it's like, you know, I always wanted Dick Dastardly to win the wacky races. I always wanted Ro- Wiley Coyote to catch that stupid, annoying Roadrunner. Because there's an element of, like, the villain is the underdog. So I always kind of want the underdog. But occasionally, maybe you could argue, maybe the best villains, even I hate them. And I flipping hated Dick Horn like a mon- what a monster. You do make a good point though about um, Jerry Horn, who is you see a little bit more of him. That's uh, Ben Horn, the local tycoon's younger brother. Yeah, he's like just a massive stoner, record in this, <laughs> yeah. isn't he? Like he's grown a massive. But in the first season, he's like a slimy playboy, yeah. clean cut. Well, not clean cut, but like certainly clean shaven, clean shaven, and sort yeah. of slick. Whereas in this one, he's like, yeah, he's just like a massive bearded old, you know, stoner. Just, yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, 
there's that character development, isn't there? Like some of the some of the characters seem stuck, lost in time. You know, Norma still runs the double R. It's almost like they've been living in the same, repeating the same year over and over again for twenty five years. But then other people, like Bobby Briggs, is no longer this like um, you know re- rebellious yeah. football player. He's now he's deputy, a cop. Yeah, he's, deputy sheriff. Yeah, he's actually yeah one of the characters you really kind of grow to like, don't you? Over mm-hmm. over time, because initially, yeah, he just seems like a bit of a piece of shit. But yeah, I think his character growth over the whole thing. Yeah, is, even in series one and two, not just this one. He, he yeah, shows exactly. He's got yeah. a nice, a nice side, and and uh, uh, Doctor Jacoby has restyled himself as Doctor Amp. <laughs> yeah, sort of like um, one of those kind of conspiracy theorist jocks, like, you know, pi- pirate radio yeah. nut job. He's like, you gotta dig yourself out of the shit. I might try and get a clip of that if I can. From Studio A, high atop the escarpments of Whitetail Peak, the roof, roof of the American Hindu Kush. This is Dr. Amp, doing the vamp for liberty, climbing the ramp to justice, and lighting the lamp of freedom. So, what's on your mind tonight? I mean, you know I'm going to tell you what's on mine. We're sinking down deep in the mud, and the fucks are at it again. The same vast global corporate conspiracy. Different day. You can't see it without a cosmic flashlight. Guess what? I've got one. Oh, yeah. And its beam, it penetrates the the ignatious rock of ignorance. It flips that rock over. And there they are, exposed, wriggling, squirming, crawling on their bellies like foul maggots, frantically racing back to the cover of darkness that they so crave. We're coming for you. Yeah, we're coming for you. Let's just see what they're cooking up today. I know what I'll be cooking up. Know the ingredients. Read what's on the box. In fact, read between the lines. What's lurking in that that toaster waffle, those muffins, that frozen children's treat? Poison! Deadly poison! That's what's there. And what's waiting for you? Cancer! Leukemia! Autoimmune disorders! Pulmonary embolism! Warts! Psoriasis! Eczema! Cardiac arrest! Where are the cops when we need them? Anorexia, body image bullshit, microbial toxins, bacterial toxins, environmental toxins, our air, our water, our earth, the very soil itself, our food, our bodies poisoned, poisoned. Yes, huckleberry extract and clean boiled water from the pure artesian springs 
of Whitetail Peak. Yeah. Fuck that. Asahi buried shit from the Amazon. In the immortal words of Pete Seeger, if I had a hammer, guess what? I've got a hammer. You must see, hear, understand, and act. Act now. Friends, we all live in the mud. In the shit. Shovel your way out of the shit. This is your shiny gold shovel. Two coats, guaranteed. Shovel your way out of the shit and into the truth. Dig yourself out of the shit. $29.99. That's right. Only $29.99 plus shipping. Except no substitute. Get yours now. Yeah, I'm just trying to think. I'm trying to think of the guy's name actually, the uh, Cockney guy as well, who you sort of see <laughs> oh, later Freddy. on. Freddie, that's it, Freddie. Yeah, <laughs> With the green glove. <laughs> just really fucking weird. <laughs> stupid. <laughs> that's really stupid, actually. That bit, but still good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we well, I we certainly I wouldn't propose we do any more kind of. Sp- Spoilers of what happens in season three. I don't think we could if we tried, mate. So I won't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, be a struggle. The, the one thing I will say, two things I will say is one, well, one watch the whole thing because it's amazing. But in particular, episode eight yes. is like a work of g- absolute genius. It, and, you know, it's actually pretentious. Oh, it's like a work of art. It's incredible. But it just. Is so good and so unique and so unlike any episode of mainstream TV you could ever imagine being created. It's like, it's a must-see. Yeah. Got a light. Got a, got a light. Oh, and that little um, sort of poem that he says yeah. over the radio and he's like, This is the water and this is the well. Drink full and descend. The horse is the white of the eyes and dark within and it's like the reason i can recite that from memory is because you know you said about it's haunting you and hanging staying in your mind for months afterwards mm. I, I couldn't stop i was walking around my house saying that <laughs> saying that poem to myself yeah for blooming weeks and and it's got one of the maddest sort of final showdowns ever hasn't it uh, not that episode just the the series three in general it's brilliant just... the arm wrestling bit oh the that's great fina- yeah. the, the actual finale the final episode is one of the most haunting things like i i literally am getting I, goosebumps now just thinking I, mate, about I was, the ending. i'm exactly the same i'm getting goosebumps it's oh so good and what was the other thing there was one other thing i wanted to say about season three and i've forgotten what it is damn I, I thought another really sort of intriguing kind of subplot almost was um, Audrey Horn again. You kind of oh, see her. That was just really, really just almost like paper thin the amount of of information you were given. Like 
so few scenes with her in, and she only came in very late she in the did, series. Yeah. Like fans were bloody up in arms, like, where's Audrey? And then what you got from Audrey was just kind of horrible. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't a sh- there wasn't one single shred of, oh, good old Audrey, oh, yay, she's back, oh, she's so cool. But there almost is, when she does her dance, Audrey's dance in the uh, roadhouse, which is kind of this sort of sleaze bar, isn't it? But then it but then, goes horribly yeah. wrong. And, and again, that thing about... The, the the cast members aging and you know not being these sort of young mm. beautiful people anymore and I don't know whether that's a direct commentary on, on that kind of thing in general but yeah the whole Audrey stuff is, is really sad and unusual and I don't yeah I, I just don't really know what it was all about Tr- sort of troubling I troubling yeah like, that. yeah and I've remember I have remembered the, the other thing I was going to say which is. There was a moment, the the one thing that would have been incredible if it had been, you know, if sadly we hadn't been robbed of the opportunity is there was a theory knocking around or a a belief when the series was being aired weekly that he'd managed to get some scenes with David Bowie reprising the role of Philip Jeffries filmed before Bowie passed away. And that sadly wasn't true. So there were no new scenes with David Bowie in, which is really sad because I'm sure there would have been if he hadn't died mm. but we did manage to get despite that an appearance by Philip Jeffries which yeah. has <laughs> got to be has got to be seen to be believed yeah <laughs> oh, just amazing <laughs> yeah if, if we were to say what Jeffries is in this do you think that would make people want to watch it more or less imagine a man that has spent 25 years or more immersed in the darkest, most kind of supernatural, alternate reality, limbo, hellish, disturbing, backwards, time-disrupted, brain-sanity-fraying places you could possibly not even dream of in your worst nightmares. And imagine if that man was once a capable FBI agent, but his, his identity, his mind, his soul, his very physical self has been warped and twisted into something that's almost like transcended humanity and transcended the boundaries of space and time. And if you could meet that entity and confront it and have a conversation with it, what that entity might look like and how it might appear to you, you wouldn't expect it to be a giant kettle. (laughs) (laughs) Would you, would you think that's fair to say? Uh, I think that is fair to say, yeah. Well, there you Just, go. Yeah, madness. Speaking of characters then, um, what about overall from, from the original series and, and beyond? What are your uh, who are your favourite characters? Can I propose that we do a countdown and then we shout our favourite one out? Because I reckon we've got the same one. Okay. But yeah. we might not have. We might, we might not, not have, have okay. but go on then. So we're gonna, I'm going to go three, two, one, and then we say it, right? Okay, yep. Three... Two, one, Leo. Leo. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. so, I knew it. I knew he'd have the and same. Leo one. needs a new pair of shoes. <laughs> just what a. I mean, he's basically another, a another absolute piece of shit. Yeah. yeah, monster. But yeah, what a guy. So it's like he's basically quite a bad actor. I think. Like, I'm, I don't want to be too harsh on. Whoever it is who plays Leo Johnson, but Eric Duray or something, isn't it? Because he's he's quite wooden, but that kind of makes it. 
So, so maybe he's yeah. a genius and that was deliberate. But do you get what I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally. He's like he's meant to be this intimidating guy, but he doesn't put any emotion into it at all. So he just comes comes across as he's just completely, you know, almost like a sociopath. I, I love. Have you ever seen the Saturday Night Live um, sketch? Because Kyle MacLachlan hosted it when no. it, at the height of Twin Peaks fame, and they do a Twin Peaks sketch in that. And uh, Chris Farley plays uh, Leo Johnson in it, in it. It's really funny. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. And then, oh yeah, Leo. Where'd you start with Leo? Like, there's that whole bit when he gets. Um, does Shelley shoot him, and that results in him? Oh, it's, sorry, he gets shot by someone else. And that results in him being sort of disabled in effect, and almost what, what you know, in a he vegetative. Speak. He's in, he's in yeah. like a waking coma where he all he can do occasionally is like mumble the last word that someone else said. That's right. Yeah. Oh, and oh, does he sometimes? Does he just go new shoes? He's always yeah, talking. I think about he does, like, doesn't shoes. he? Yeah. And so Bobby Briggs moves in with Shelley, who is his wife, Leo's wife, and they basically sort of not. I mean, they do abuse him, basically, don't they? They, they use him to get the, a welfare check, like a disability allowance that they then just blow on, you know, partying and enjoying life as much as they can, while Leo just sits there in a chair kind of dribbling. And then there's, as you might expect, there's finally that brilliant moment when he snaps out of it and <laughs> comes back. It's like a really great horror moment. <laughs> yeah, Leo. <laughs> he's, so, he's so good. Absolute piece of shit, but yeah. Are fa- both of our favourite characters? He's, he's, like, he's like what Richard Horn was in the later in the comeback series, like the the local, yeah. quite young, almost so young that you might feel like he can be salvaged. But then when you witness his behaviour, you're like, oh no, he can't be salvaged. He's a fucking awful, yeah, piece of garbage. Just kill him, please. I think also you mentioned him earlier as well. Albert is another one who's who's up he's there. Ace. Albert has. There's one scene he has an absolute brilliant speech because he's very rude, very short with people, and he seems like a real arsehole. And so him in the, unlike Cooper, we were saying about the FBI coming in and normally not getting on with the local law enforcement, where he kind of is that person that comes in and doesn't get on with the local law enforcement. He's real short shrift. But he does make this amazing speech to uh, Sheriff Truman I choose to live my life in the company of Gandhi and King. My concerns are global. I reject absolutely revenge, aggression and retaliation. The foundation of such a method is love. I love you, Sheriff uh, Truman. (laughs) Oh, I see. So what you mean is like, this is not him slating him. No, no, this is him like explaining his philosophy. Philosophy. He's just really short, sharp, but he, his whole being is is founded on love. So it's just a, it was an amazing That's speech. Nice. I loved it, and the fact that he ended up as almost like a, you know like a main character in the comeback he, series. He did, yeah, and and then like you said, passed away. Oh, it's really sad. And I tell you, who did a great job in series three was um, Thingy. Oh, bloody from Scream, Shaggy. What's his name? Who played Bill Hastings? Oh, um, Lillard, yeah, Matthew Lillard. Lillard, he does a yeah, he, great job great. in season three, doesn't he? Yeah, really good. It was really nice to see him again, actually, because I love yeah. I love Scream. It's one of just sort of really sort of easy slasher to watch, isn't it? Sort of fun, yeah. 
and he, he was great in that. film in many ways yeah so it's nice to kind of see him again really because doesn't seem to be in that much these days well one last thing that we wanted to mention is twin peaks if you haven't gathered by now is a complete riddle of impenetrable symbolism metaphor upon metaphor bizarre surrealist crazy images and scenes that don't make any sense and baffling monologues and there's lots of it there's lots of it to dissect especially with a third season now so people have poured over it there's there's been lots of quite highbrow you know analysis that i've read or heard or listened to podcasts and equally there's a lot of people who would say you're wasting your time because the whole point of it is meant to be it's a subjective experience and you just take from it whatever you take from it and there's nothing there to be understood there is no grand message but well we found someone who thinks differently didn't we yep twin perfect on uh, youtube a four hour video about twin peaks the meaning of twin peaks and it's it's really really good very convincing and not what at all what i was expecting no um, he, he, i basically went from i am completely skeptical about this claim that you have you're going to sort of explain twin peaks and what it's all really about and i'm going to watch your video rossiter because i like twin perfect because they did a big silent hill thing years and years ago so okay i'm going to every so often i just click on his channel to see what he's he's up to and and within i don't know half an hour 40 minutes i was like I am quite convinced by this. Yeah. This is quite a compelling analysis. And by yeah. the end, I was like, you're a genius. Get this man a knighthood. He has <laughs> completely de- deciphered what David Lynch was trying to do. And he's cracked it. And everyone else who's ever tried to crack it has failed. And he has succeeded. Amazing. It's really amazing, yeah. And interesting as well, because would you do you want to know? Do you want to have your own opinions your own you know interpretations important to you but which you know they probably are to some people but yeah I, I just think it improves it so much when being able to give it gives you an excuse as well to go back and watch it again um with with that knowledge in in mind i'm pleased that i watched it all without having yes yes opinion but I don't feel like getting his insight, which I think is pretty much spot on, I don't think getting that has spoiled it in any way. No. If anything, like you say, it's almost enhanced it because I think what Lynch was doing is really clever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so definitely worth a watch. Uh, it's, four, it's four hours long and there's been a couple of videos he's made since then kind of answering some some fan f- uh, feedback. but So you're talking what, five, six hours to watch all of it, all of the Twin Peaks stuff, but it's well worth it. I think I watched it in one one evening, yeah. And it'll fly by as well. It'll fly by because yeah. you just, like, I, just I was... One kind of holy shit moment after another, isn't it? So, yeah, we'll... Um, I couldn't, couldn't recommend that enough. Twin Perfect's recent, or it's a recent at the time of recording, which is early 2020, recent analysis of... Yeah, Twin Peaks and the true meaning of Twin Peaks, which is you know, what, what an achievement yeah. to have yeah. potentially figured out what David Lynch was secretly trying to tell us all along. Yep, uh, and you know, but you know, if 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 you don't believe it and it, you, you're not interested in knowing that, it's still you'll still get a lot out of Twin Peaks. Just 
you know, just trying to figure out what's going on by yourself. You don't you don't necessarily need this to appreciate it, but for me, it has enhanced it. Agreed. Completely agree. Well, as you said, there's, there's millions of things that we haven't even mentioned that we could have just... This could be like a 10-hour special, this, but we, we should probably go to bed. Um, so all that remains, Liam, is to decide whether, hmm. for you to decide, because this is my pitch to you, does Twin Peaks merit a place in the Hall of Pain? No. Please explain. Um, I'm just being weird, like Lynch. <laughs> what I actually mean is yes, yes, yes. See, see, see. I don't know what that is. That was pretty good. You went, was that backwards, yes? Or yeah. Was that, like, was, Spani- yeah. Spanish? David Lynch. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. It doesn't need to be explained. That's the um, point. Don't no, explain it's it. 100% in there. So good. So good. It, every character is going in, and the place, and all the staff. Yeah. You know, Lynch himself, he's going in. Frost is in there. The, Leo Johnson's getting his own special throne Definitely, room. yeah. The, the Black Lodge. Yeah, the Black Lodge is in. Um, although not, not the little dwarf guy, because they fell out, didn't they? Yeah, they did, yeah. Him and Lynch fell out, so we replaced him in the third series with a talking tree. Yep. That's a real thing. <laughs> that'll, that'll teach him. As you do. Um, but yeah, it's just... I'm almost... My head's spinning, almost thinking about it all. There's just... As I said, there's just so much that you could talk about. And so I apologise if uh, I've not been offered able to offer much insight. But it, yeah, where do you begin? It's, but it is just so good. Just take my Just take my word for it. It's... No, I feel the same. I feel like we've just we, we've barely scratched the surface. Yeah, we've jumped around all over the place, but it, it, it is it's almost an impossible task. Thankfully, Twin Perfect did a much better job. He so, did. Yeah. <laughs> so right. watch his video. Definitely. <laughs> but he's not as funny as us. No. Yeah. Although he does a better yeah. Lynch impression. Are you, you, are you serious? I'll fight you. Yes, I am. Sir, it does a better one than me. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, but that, so there you go, uh, the penultimate episode, uh, and arguably the worst yet. <laughs> it's in the can. Um, yeah. Which, which means that the next episode, by that logic, is going to be the ultimate episode. It will be. And who better to talk about what? Yeah. than someone we both love? We, we've just done David Lynch, or, you know, Twin Peaks, but manifested in the form of the the seminal work of David Lynch. She was cast a shadow over pop culture for decades. Uh, you know, his influence so Twin Peaks in here have influenced so many things, so much of the horror medium. You know, how could you think of a more fitting finale for a series about dark fiction than David Lynch and Twin Peaks? Well, we got an answer for you. And that answer is Are we saying it now or well, we said it on the last episode, I think. Oh, yeah. So it's not really a spoiler, is it? But It's H.P. Lovecraft. Lovecraft. There you go. That's going to be a tough one. There's a lot to cover, a lot of work, a lot of yeah. things influenced by him and his writing, and a lot of controversy as well that yeah. we will attempt to cover yeah. in a couple of weeks' time. There you go. But until then, it only remains for me to say... Because we've done 23 episodes without a proper sign-off, and I've finally come up with one. Hey. 
All that remains for me to say is, uh, um, but it's, yeah, this is the end of the episode. Bye. See ya. <laughs> See ya. Thank you for listening, everybody, to another edition of Dark Natter. If you enjoyed the show and want to support us, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on your podcast listening service, or even better, by telling your friends, family, and fellow dark fiction connoisseurs about us. Please also follow us on social media, where you'll find us on Instagram at Dark Natter Podcast or on Twitter at Dark underscore Natter. Uh, and this is John here, just interrupting. Sorry, David. If you're interested in hearing more about my own dark fiction, uh, please check out my website at www.john-richter.com. That's J-O-N-R-I-C-H-T-E-R for more information or just search for John Richter on Amazon. That's enough from you, John. Thanks once again, everybody. And see you next time for the finale of Dark Natter Series 1. Goodbye, everybody. Peace.